KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. The birth rate in the U.S. has been in decline for several years now. So, how big a deal is this? Is this something we should be really worried about? Are there problems that this could cause down the road if the trend continues? We wanted to dig into all this, so we caught up with Dr. Hans Peter Kohler. He is a professor of sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. Give a listen. So, just to start, kind of explain how birth rate is determined. How uh, we come at these numbers kind of, I think everybody ideas, well, we have less babies or you have more babies as a country, but how is it figured out? So the interesting interaction is that individuals obviously make decisions as couples, as individuals in how many children they want to have. And that's their desired fertility that they'd like to achieve over the lifetime. But then they also make decisions about when they would like to have the children. And both of these aspects have changed fundamentally. So kind of earlier, much earlier, uh, last century, there have been significant declines in desired fertility. So, you know, broadly with a two-child norm emerging individuals trying to replace parents, trying to replace themselves in the next generation, having two children as kind of the dominant fertility outcome. And much more recently, there has been this fundamental transformation in when individuals have their children. So, you know, some decades back, children occurred relatively early in adulthood and were seen as an important stage or marker of how individuals achieve adulthood. And then over the last few years earlier, you know, some European and Asian countries, more recently in the U.S., there's been this fundamental transformation in delaying parenthood. So rather than children marking the beginning or a relatively early stage of adulthood, they, they now mark a relatively late stage of adulthood. So individuals prioritize first, you know, completing education, getting established in their careers, you know, establishing partnership, realizing a set of dreams they have, they want to accomplish as adults. And once they're basically check marks behind these various goals young adults have, then children come, and then this comes at a much later time in life. So in the U.S., the, the birth rate has been in decline pretty much overall for a while now, correct? That is correct. And, you know, and that was presumably triggered in part by the Great Recession some years ago. Obviously, COVID probably reinforced that. And again, it affected both of these components. So there have been, on one hand, probably some declines in this desired fertility that if times are more difficult, either due to a recession or a major pandemic or just difficult labor market conditions, what have you, kind of the number of children individuals want to have ultimately uh, has declined to some extent. But the bigger factor presumably has been that this kind of timing, timing of fertility has changed so that individual, there's now this well-documented and very broad shift across all SES groups of individuals having their children later. And most of the evidence, or a big part of the evidence, points to the fact that a sizable component of these recent declines in U.S. fertility have been driven by this delayed parenthood. So individuals you know, don't have the children that they would otherwise have had at the moment. They're going to have them a few years down, down the road. And what that entailed is that if you kind of add up all the number of births occurring in one calendar year, 
you're going to see these drops. And, you know, and since on average, U.S. fertility is still relatively early, at least in comparison with high-income countries, this delay of in parenthood can continue for quite some time. So there is, you know, the expectation that fertility rates will remain low for, you know, quite a bit of time. And then at some point, you know, they may gradually increase because there is little additional scope for delaying childhood or parenthood later into the adult life course. You mentioned uh, COVID earlier and the decline. Now, am I reading it correctly? It was the birth rate was down like 4% in 2020. Is that a, should that be looked at with an asterisk because of COVID you think, or is that just like a lot of other things in the pandemic, a trend already in place is just accelerated by the extremeness of the pandemic? You know, how big the effect of the pandemic on U.S. fertility rate is, is a matter of you know, active research. And some time ago, it was more speculative. Now we're going to get the data in you know, 2020, obviously, it's important to note that only the birth at the very tail last month of 2020 were affected by the pandemic because most births who occurred in 2010 to 2020 were conceived prior to the pandemic. So, you know, you could see in the data that late in 2020, there was a decline in fertility, and that's you know, likely going to continue into 2021. And then... I think this is active research and a lot of controversy on how big that decline is going to be. And we're going to learn this fairly fairly soon as birth numbers are going to be relieved. And the you know, expectation would be that a fraction of that or a sizable fraction would be recuperated because to some extent these births were delayed but not foregone. So declining birth rate, it sounds on its, you know, to a layman like that, it doesn't sound like a good thing. Is it something the average person should be concerned about? Why is it something we should keep an eye on? So, you know, changes, so ultimately declining birth rates affect what's called the population age structure. So how many individuals are at different ages uh, within a country or population? And the population age structure, along with the size of the population, has, you know, profound effects on many, many aspects of life on you know, anything starting with pension systems to possibly um, economic growth to how many schools we need to build, housing markets, and so forth. We are concerned or we're interested in the fertility rates for one reason, because it is one of the key contributors shaping the population age structure over time. And that in fact has this broad multitude uh, effects on both the aggregate economy as well as individual's lives. The question then is how concerned one should be about these low birth rates, or the alternative question is what could one do about this? And there, unfortunately, my reading is that we probably need to get used to and adjust, you know, our country, our lives to sustain relatively low fertility because we don't have strong evidence for any kind of policy interventions or changes that would you know, significantly raise fertility in the long term. So low fertility has been around, you know, now for quite some time in many countries. And many countries have, you know, tried to counter that with a broad range of policy, policy mechanisms from financial incentives to extending a maternity leave, paternity leaves, and all these factors. And the evidence is that 
often these policy changes result in short-term increases in fertility, but not necessarily in long-term ones. So on one hand, I think the big challenge for high-income countries in general, and the U.S. in particular, is to basically adjust to a situation of relatively of sustained, relatively low fertility. And in the U.S., chances are that's going to continue to be a lot easier than in some other countries. So low fertility in the U.S. is still significantly higher than the low fertility rates observed in places like Korea, Japan, much of Europe. And the U.S. at least historically had had higher rates of migration. And so in principle, kind of adjusting, dealing with low fertility is something the U.S. ought to be relatively well equipped for and better equipped than some other countries. But I don't think that one should necessarily devise policies that would try to counter that in the sense of, you know, trying to increase increase fertility in the long term, in part because it's not clear we know exactly how to do this. You mentioned other countries have had this issue longer. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the problems they've experienced that maybe we could learn from? Or what are some things, you know, as they are further down this road? Uh, you know, some of the things we should be on the lookout for, be be concerned about? So, they, you know, there are obviously big challenges in for any programs that transfer money or resources from the working age population to the adult population. So social, social security, health insurance, Medicare are all major, major, you know, concerns that need to be adjusted for that. You know, big implications for the housing market, presumably different, there's a demand for different housing if the population age structure changes. And, you know, at the, at the more extreme level then some, so like with many other aspects, there's going to be tremendous heterogeneity, inequality, what's happening in different parts of the U.S., big differences between rural and urban areas and so forth. Certainly in some areas of the U.S., they may, you know, face the prospect of sustained declining overall population. And that's, you know, certainly a new phenomenon and certainly going to be a challenging one if you have areas within the United States that are going to lose significant fraction of their population over the next decade. How much were our problems, if at all, and I say problems, but how much further along were we pushed with this when you have this declining birth rate and we had the last four years an administration that was not big fans of immigration. So maybe some of that population replenishment you would get through immigration, a lot of those spigots were turned off or or closed significantly. Uh, how Kind of talk about how those two things could come together to accelerate problems. So, you know, migration for sure is one of the kind of policy levers countries have to at least ameliorate the consequences of low fertility. It's not going to be Migration is not going to be in, in there's no country where migration is going to be a substitute or a full compensation for low fertility. But for sure, migration can be an effective policy levers to kind of respond to low fertility in you know, kind of labor demands and other aspects. And, you know, and I, I truthfully, I really don't know what's happening in the future and how different administrations are going to respond to this. From my perspective, as somebody studying changes in changes in population age structure fertility, I think migration ought to be considered as one of the key policy levers that we have in 
responding to low fertility and trying to, you know, implement a migration policy that makes sense in that context. So overall, as someone who studies this, when you look at the the broad scope of the U.S., um, how concerned are you, like, that this could become a significant problem in the United States? At this point, I'm not too concerned. The reasons being that, on one hand, a significant fraction are de- a significant contributor to low fertility is delayed parenthood. So the expectation might be that in the future, there's going to be some modest recuperation, some modest increase. And, you know, the other aspect is that when we talk about the population aid structure, we, you know, should the population per se, we should, you know, consider two aspects. On one hand is the number of people at various ages and so forth. The other one being their human capital, their education level, schooling level, their skill level. And, you know, there's very strong evidence that when individuals, couples choose to have fewer children, they tend to invest more in these children. So what this transformation then implies is that we might have, you know, 20 years down the road, fewer individuals entering the labor market because of fewer births occurring at the moment. But chances are these individuals are going to be better skilled, better educated. And and certainly for the you know economy of large, these two things operate in different in different directions and compensate each other. And for these reasons, I'm not too concerned at the moment. Is this the type of thing when you talk about social security that the problems kind of move along at a slower level, but then there's the possibility that all of a sudden the problems accelerate real where all of a sudden the, the things get really out of balance and the, the money's not there, you know, it goes gradual and then it really kind of falls off a cliff. You know, the changes in the population age structure are very predictable. We know, you know, quite well how the U.S. population age structure in 10, 20, 30 years is going to look. Well, the main uncertainty being at relatively young ages where fertility contributes and that kind of young adulthood or mid-adulthood levels where migration is a big contributor. So at least in principle, we can plan for these aspects and, you know, make changes so that we don't get to the points that you indicated that we kind of go along and suddenly everything breaks. But then, you know, any of these major reforms in big transfer programs, such as social security, are, you know, political processes. And I really don't have deep insights on what is politically possible or not in that context. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>